Um, hobbies, okay. All right, Chris, Rachel, sorry, you already married him. So, you know, when somebody dies, have you ever heard of people who, uh, right before they die, they have a vision, they see a light, they see Jesus, they see something. How many of you heard those testimonies? Raise your hands, because I know many, many have. Did any, any of them ever say, when I was, right before I, I, you know, right before they're passing, they communicate to the relatives around their bed that they, what they saw. Do they ever say, I just saw my vacation home in Maui? I just saw that trophy I won when I was in junior high school. I just saw all my money. Now, what do they say that they see? People. Because life is about people. It's not about things. Things are great. I love things. But life is not about things. It's not about what we accumulate or acquire or achieve. It's about the people around us. And every single person on the planet matters to God. So if life is about relationships, how many of you want your relationships to last? I want to see a hand, show of hands again because some of you may not. Maybe you like to have disposable relationships Six months here, a year there, a couple years there, and you're just kind of done and move on. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell, I'm going to tell off of myself here for a second. I remember one time I had a relationship with a friend, and uh, we did everything together. And then I met somebody else, and so I had a relationship with that person, and I stopped hanging out with my previous friend. And my first friend was getting, got really hurt. And so I was in prayer, and I said to the Lord, I said, you know, they're just... That, you know, my friends just just immature. You know, they can't understand that. You know, sometimes you just move on. He said, "No." And I'm, now, when the Lord says things like I'm about to say to you, it's just He speaks your language, right? So He under, He knows your language. Does God talk to you in a way that you understand, right? He's very He's a very personal God, and He says it with love, no matter how firm it is, right? Because that's who our God is. He said, "No, you're a jerk." And He was right. And I had to repent and humble myself and apologize to my friend. That's the way you make relationships last is by not being a jerk. That's pretty much my message. Thanks for coming today. <laughs> right? You, knew, you know who else believes that life is all about relationships? Jesus. Let's read what Jesus said about this. When he was asked, what is the greatest commandment on earth? Here's Jesus' response. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, everybody say Jesus. <laughs> I think he is the one that gets to teach all of us about relationships. Jesus replied, you must, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then he throws in this. And second, a second equally important commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Then he says something that is astounding, should get all of our attention. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. It does not matter how much of the Bible you know. You could just be a Pharisee. It doesn't matter if you speak in tongues and run up and down the aisles, or if you, if you go to church every Sunday, it doesn't matter if 
it doesn't matter if you don't love. In fact, doesn't the Bible say that you can give all your money to the poor, you can speak in other tongues, you can have all knowledge, you can have faith to move mountains, but if you don't have love, you are what? Say it out loud. You are what? Nothing. I don't want to be a nothing in the eyes of heaven. Do you? So life is all about relationships. I remember a song. You remember the song? I'm not going to sing it, but I'm going to say it. Remember Saturday night, and I ain't got nobody. I got some money because I just got paid. Oh, how I wish I had somebody to talk to. I'm in an awful way. Remember that song? If you don't remember it, I'll sing it. Maybe it'll help you better. Saturday night and I ain't got nobody. Right? Okay. That's all you're getting. Shared joy is double joy and shared sorrow is half a sorrow. How many of you believe that? Isn't it true? I'm going to tell you a, a, a pretty dramatic story. A, a friend of mine who was a clinical psychologist for 30 years, she had been uh, deeply, severely abused as a young girl. She had told her story a million times. She was a Bible teacher. She was a leader in a church. She did seminars and stuff. She's sitting in her car in the passenger seat, and the, her friend was in the driver's seat, and they're just sitting in the parking lot. And my friend, the clinical psychologist, was just telling her story about her childhood like she had done so many times that, you know, sometimes when you've been through things that are incredibly painful and you tell people about it for years, it just comes, becomes a story. You don't have the emotional content to it anymore. And she's just telling her story, and all of a sudden she feels the car shaking. She's looking around, she looks over. Her friend has her head on the steering wheel convulsing and weeping. I mean, that is the worst story I have ever heard. And my friend said that was in the most, one of the most healing moments of her life. A shared sorrow is half a sorrow. Jesus says to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Life is all about relationships. Now, I know some people who, uh, my father in particular, was extremely wealthy. But he was miserable. I remember, you know, my, my mom and dad got divorced when I was nine years old. And my dad was extremely wealthy. My mom was a second grade school teacher on a, a modest salary for 30 years, uh, you know, middle class. And so when I, was, uh, when I would go to my dad's house, I remember how intimidating it was, wasn't it, honey? You go to his house, everything's pretense and show. I remember one time I went to Christmas at his house and he was wearing a suit and I showed him in a really nice sweater. And he said, sweater? You're wearing a sweater to Christmas? I mean, this is Christmas. You know, everything was a you know, huge home, you know, just everything was extravagant and he's in his suit and I wore a sweater and, you know, I just felt like a complete failure. So the next year I wore a suit. Guess what he was wearing? He was wearing a sweater. That's when you start to figure it out, right? It's just, it's just, it's just not going to work. So you're just so nervous going to his house because everything has to be just right. Anybody relate to what I'm saying right now? Maybe not your dad. Maybe not your mom. Maybe it's a boss. Maybe whoever it might be where you just feel like you're always on edge and going to do, do something wrong, right? At my mom's house, you walk into the kitchen in your underwear. You know, it just doesn't matter. I mean, it's mom. I'm at home. You know, that's the way it's supposed to be. 
I moved when my mom and dad got got divorced. I was living in a multi-million dollar home. We had a we had a, a live-in housekeeper and cooking all of our meals and then that whole thing. My mom and dad got divorced. My mom ended up going to Arizona, and she ended up being a waitress at an ice cream shop. And she had this she rented this little adobe round adobe clay house in the middle of tumbleweed in Arizona. I mean, it was like a little dirt road going all out to this little. Literally, it was like a concrete roundhouse with a metal top on it. It was one of those things that spin. So I go, and I go from a multi-million dollar home in Ohio to this clay adobe thing out in the middle of nowhere in Arizona. And I enjoyed living there more than I enjoyed living there. Because there was love. Here's what the Bible says. Better is a dinner of herbs with love than a fatted calf with hatred. The book of Proverbs 17.1 says, better is a dry morsel with quietness. We don't have much at our house. For those of you who don't know, we have six kids, a couple dogs, cat, roosters next door. You know, roosters don't only do it in the, I mean, crow in the morning. I don't understand where that came from. They do it all night long. They crow all the time. I don't know where this morning thing came from. I don't know. Better is a dry morsel with quietness than a house full of feasting with strife. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's simple, right? I mean, that's pretty simple. He says the entire Bible is love God and love others. That's simple. Not easy. In fact, it's very hard, isn't it? Last week, Mark, our, our, one of our pastors here who's down in Mexico with uh, his wife, Shelly, they're ministering this morning, convinced us from the Bible that we, if we aren't loving one another, we have completely failed in our Christianity. So thank you for that, Mark. Great opening to a new series. After the service, somebody came up to me and said, great. He convinced us that we're failures if we don't love one another, but he didn't tell us how to do it. Well, that's what I'm here for today. I've entitled my message, Joy. And the reason it's an acrostic is because I believe that if we do it the way that Jesus tells us to do it, our relationships will be filled with joy. I mean, he has a manual for living, and that is the living Word of God. My son uh, Josiah and I were building a ping pong table this week. And they said that the ping pong table, I got it for like 150 bucks. It was on sale, 100, 100 bucks off of it. That's great. And then they said for an, another $100, we can have a professional installer come and build the ping pong table for it. I thought, $100 to build a ping pong table? That's crazy. It should be so simple. Yeah, like love God with all your heart, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself, right? Build a ping pong table. Sounds simple. Three hours later, two power drills, four screwdrivers, three wrenches, ratchet set, right? Extra screws, extra butterfly screw nuts. I mean, it was just, I mean, the instructions out everywhere. I mean, it was just, and here's the thing. If you don't build it according to the manual and you get to step 15, oh, God. Anybody ever been there? Raise your hand. Come on. Ever been there before? And you, because every step builds on itself, right? So you got to, we're taking, I'm taking, I'm taking the screws out. I'm taking the brackets out. I'm, hand me that over there, right? It's your fault, Josiah. No, I didn't say that. 
Jesus has a manual for building joyful relationships. It's a very simple pattern. I don't think you're ready for it, but I'm going to give it to you. It's going to hurt, but here it comes. You ready? Here's the pattern. Jesus first, others second, and yourself third. Now, you see the acrostic, J-O-Y, joy? That's the pattern. Say it out loud with me. Jesus first, others second, yourself third. It hurts, doesn't it? Well, let me ask you this. Why do you think relationships are so hard? This is, a, this, is a, this is an actual question to you, so you're allowed to say what you think. Why do you think relationships are so hard? Pride. Personalities, yeah. Any personality that's not like yours, right? Isn't that the way it works? Yeah. Somebody else, what makes relationships so hard? Because you can be a jerk. Selfish, pride, fear, unforgiveness, dishonor, insensitivity, offensiveness, jealousy, envy, hate, bigotry, prejudice. These things, the, <laughs> human, these things make relationships hard. All of these negative characteristics, I believe, and the Bible teaches, can be boiled down to one attribute, and that is self-centeredness. This is where James says all of our problems come from. And we do it so well. It comes so naturally, doesn't it? Look what James says. Jesus is half-brother. Why do you fight and argue with each other? Isn't it because you are full of selfish desires? He goes on to say, For while envy, where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. I want to say that the more selfless you become the better your relationships will be. One time I had a dream, and in my dream I was at the dinner table with all my kids and my wife and my mother-in-law all around the table. And I was given a Bible study, and the Bible study was being others-centered. And I woke up. I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> so we did that. I obeyed, I obeyed the dream. And that's become a theme in our family, being others-centered. And the more you realize that being others-centered, not self-centered, is the key to joyful relationships, you start to become very aware of your own selfishness and other people's selfishness around you. I was commending a church member this morning because they produced uh, something for the church, and they sent it to me, and they said, what do you think? And I thought, should I be honest? And say, I don't think that's very good. Or should I lie and say, yeah, that's great. Yeah, right. Right. And this is what we do. Hidden hatred, right? The wounds of a friend are faithful, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. And so you don't want to have conflict, so we lie to one another. So because I have a relationship with this individual, I took a chance and I said, I don't like it. I don't think it's very good. I think if you did this, it might be a little bit better. And you're waiting for the response, right? It's like, great, you just lost another church member. Right? The response, you know what you have when the person responds to when you speak the truth, hopefully in love. And the response was, okay, 
I thought, really? And then you think, okay, what's he really mean? And I walked up to him this morning and I said, I just want to thank you for your humility. We're so easily offended, aren't we? Isn't it so easy to get How come we're easily offended? What is at the root of being easily offended? Pride. Fear. Self-centeredness. Right? When, we're, when we are really defensive, it is that we are self-centered, insecure, prideful, fearful. Jesus wasn't this way at all. Think about the abuse he took and how he just kept loving people. He was so secure in his relationship with his father, so secure in who he was. He didn't have to prove himself. He wasn't trying to impress anybody. He, wasn't, he didn't get easily offended. And he is our model. He was so free and so loving and so at peace. You might feel like you'll be taken advantage of if you put yourself last. I do want to say there are nuances to this. There are boundaries. You, you, are, you are not to be subjected to an abusive relationship. You do need to mix mercy and truth. But the general blueprint is that you put God first, you put others second, and you third. And you're allowed to be in there because the Bible, Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. So there is healthy self-love. In fact, if you don't love yourself, you are not on God's page because God loves you. That's a whole nother message I'm not going to teach today. But I will say to you, one day I was in prayer and I said, your kingdom come and your will be done. And he said this to me, if you want to be in my will, then you need to love yourself because I love you. I mean, it stunned me and I sat back. Thought, wow. Because self-hatred is so easy, isn't it? I mean, that committee you have in your brain that's always criticizing, second-guessing, right? The comparison you have with others, all that is self-hatred. That's not healthy. You are created in the image of God with glory and honor. So we are to have a healthy love for ourselves. And we are to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. So this is the healthy cycle, loving God, loving others, and loving ourselves. Jesus brings this out in the book of John when he's talking to his disciples about this. And we're going to see this pattern, love Jesus, love others in this, pa- in this passage. John chapter 15, Jesus says this, I have loved you as the Father has loved me. Now remain or abide, live in my love. I have obeyed my Father's commands and I remain in his love. In the same way, if you obey my commandments, you will remain in my love. I have told you these things. Now, here you go. I have told you these things so that you can have the same joy I have. The same joy that Jesus has. That, that's possible. That we can have the same depth of joy that Jesus lived with. That's, un, that's unbelievable. And so that your joy will be the fullest possible Wow. Think about all the things that we do to experience joy. The entertainment, the accolades, the accumulations, the vacations, the accomplishments. Think about all the things we try to do to, to experience joy. There's so much depression in the world, so much anxiety, so much stress. We just want joy. We want happiness. I mean, it's even in our Constitution, the pursuit of happiness. God wants us to be a joyful people. But then there are relationships. That's where all the joy just gets sucked right out of life. 
Relationships are hard, aren't they? Yes, they are. Relationships are hard. One person has said this, and they said it. A happy marriage is heaven on earth, and a bad marriage is hell on earth. Single people are lonely many times, and so they want to get married to solve their loneliness. And you get married, and your spouse doesn't understand you, and you sleep facing opposite walls. That's lonely. When you... you when you got married so you could have your soulmate and be known and loved no matter what, and you end up not being known and understood, and you're lonelier than when you were single. Or somebody comes to church because they want to come to a place where they can find grace and mercy and love and unconditional acceptance, and they come and they find judgment. It's incredibly discouraging, disheartening. We crave relationships, we crave community. We crave to be loved, to be known, to be accepted just for who we are. And that's supposed to be called church, by the way. Supposed to be called the people of God. The forgiven people of God are the best forgivers on the planet. That's the way it's supposed to be. And Jesus said, when people see the way you love one another, it will prove that I'm the son of God. So, you notice that he said that Your joy will be full when you obey my command. Do you know what Jesus' command is? Yeah, here's here's the pathway, here's the bridge. Jesus says, your joy will be the fullest that joy can possibly be if you obey my command. So here's his command. This is my command. Love each other as I have loved you. Oh, dang. Oh, man. Oh, my goodness. He just raised the bar so high. Let me ask you, how has Jesus loved you? I want you to shout it out to me. How has Jesus loved you? Say it. (laughs) One at a time. Unconditionally. Sacrificed his life. Forgave you. Somebody else, huh? He's faithful. Patient. He came after you while you were running hard and fast, trying to go straight to hell, Rick. I know what he meant, so I just filled in the rest of his sentence. (laughs) You and me both, we were trying to get there first. Jesus says that your and my joy will be as the fullest that joy can possibly be if we go to Disneyland 16 times a year. If we make more money than we can even ever imagine. If we can just get that promotion at work. No, he says your joy will be the fullest joy can possibly be if you love one another as I have loved you. The same way I have loved you. So think about all the attributes that you just shared. Faithful, sacrifices life, patient, forgiving. These are the things that cause our relationships to work. And that cause our joy to increase. So there's a couple of relationships in my life. And they're people that are close to me. And they were criticizing me. And they were They were saying things about me that I just knew weren't true. Many things are true. And I have a lot of growing to do just like you do. But these particular characteristics 
They cut to the bone and they weren't accurate. My wife said they aren't true. A couple other people that know me well said they aren't true. God even supernaturally intervened and told me what they're saying is not true. And yet these are people who are close to me. Something happened in the relationship where they perceived something, something I said, something I did, the way I behaved in a certain situation that I felt was misinterpreted. And so they began to speak to me about this thing, the way I am, and it hurt. And it made me angry. And I started putting up walls. And I started isolating. And I started talking to them less, calling them less, emailing them less, not hanging out with them. Anybody ever do that before? Just raise your hand. Look at that. Like almost, okay, the rest of you are just liars. We have more liars in church today than I think we've had in a very long time less. Okay, when we have prayer teams at the end of the service, you need to come down and get that lying spirit cast out of you because there's no hope for you if you're just going to lie all the time. And so this went on for like maybe six months, nine months. You know, there are relationships, some of you may have them in your life right now, where you out of self-protectiveness have raised up walls and you have literally cut off relationships with people. We either drop relationships or we redefine relationships, which means I'm going to love you from a distance, darling. I'm not going to let you hurt me anymore. So I had settled that this is the definition. This is the new way I'm going to relate to these people. And then one day the Lord led me to read this passage I just read to you. And it's like I've read that like 150,000 times. I've preached on John 15. I can't remember how many times. But you know when the Lord just kind of like nudges you to go to read something, there's usually a reason for it. And so I'm reading down through this, and I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then we got to that part about the joy. And he said, so that your joy may be full. And he got me. He got me. Joy is like that idiot light on your dashboard. You guys know what the idiot light is? It's when the oil light shows up that says you need oil now, you idiot, or your engine's going to lock up. It's called an idiot light. If you didn't know, that's called an idiot light. When you lack joy in a relationship, that's a sign. That's a warning. That's a signal. It's an idiot light. Hey. Something's not right in this relationships because relationships are supposed to be the source of the fullness of joy in your life. I do want to say, Paul says, at much as lies within you, be at peace with everyone. Sometimes you do everything you possibly can, and it's just not going to work because the other person is not playing well with others. But that's not the message today. The message is to ask yourself the hard, brutal questions are you doing what God is calling you to do in every single relationship in your life? Not are they doing their part. Are you doing your part? Because they're not here today, so we can't put the screws to them. You're here, so I'm putting the screws to you. And, if, and I, I, prom, I guarantee you this. If you will hear what God wants you to do in a relationship, and you actually do that thing, your relationships are going to be supernatural. Let me tell you what happened with this. The Lord caught me because this, these relationships, the joy was gone. And so I was looking at what he wanted me to do in this passage. And he said, my command, not my suggestion, not my invitation, not what I hope you do, would like for you to do. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the one we call King of kings and Lord of lords, Shonda, Shonda. 
He says, I command you to love one another the way I love you. And I'm like, dang. I have those relationships all compartmentalized. I'm safe. They're over there. I'm over here. We'll do emails every once in a while. I'm not going to ask any penetrating questions. I'm not going to be vulnerable. I'm not going to share my stories with them. Everything's safe and good. I like it just the way I have it, Jesus. And he says, I command you to love them. I said, okay. And this is what he told me to do. He told me to listen to them. Just listen to them. I'm like, but what they're saying is junk. Listen to them. I said. And the next verse he says, greatest, the greatest love a person can show is to die. Lay down his life for his friends. And what he was saying to me is this. Lay down your reputation. Lay down your defensiveness. Lay down your self-centeredness. And here was the big one. Lay down your fear. When he said that to me, this huge revelation went off on the inside of me. That the real issue for me and that relationship was fear. I was afraid that they were going to... See me in a light that isn't accurate, and I don't like being misjudged. Do you? Do you like being misunderstood? None of us like that, especially from a close friend. David said if it was a stranger that did that to me, I could handle it. But it was you, my companion. We went to the house of God and worshiped together. Those are the ones that really hurt. And God said to me, Jesus said, Lay down your life. Lay down your reputation. And that revelation of fear so permeated, has permeated my life that over the last, it's probably on the top three lists, the top three on the list of experiences that I've had with God that have revolutionized my life. When I realized that fear of being misunderstood was at the root of it, I found fear is just everywhere. It's pervasive in our human experience. And so now I recognize fear like that in every relationship. I say, fear, you're not allowed. Fear, you're not welcome. Fear, you're not allowed to be here. God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. So what if people misunderstand you or misjudge you? So what? God knows you. And so you know what I said to him in that moment? I said, okay, okay, okay. I'd rather eat a bowl of rocks than obey the Lord. Okay. I will lay down my life and I will listen. But I'm not calling them my friends anymore. <laughs> I went down this passage like line by line, accepting one baby step after. Okay. I will love them. What does that mean? Lay down your life. Oh, what does that mean? Listen to what they're saying. Okay, I'll do that. They are your friends. No, no. And I finally got to a place where I obeyed the Lord and I listened. And I was able to say, I think what you're saying is junk. But it's okay. Just listening healed the relationship. It's amazing. And, I, and it unlocked all sorts of other areas in my soul and in my mind and my personality and my blind spots 
that has caused me actually to grow and become, my wife will say, I'm a better man this year than I was last year. I can feel it. I can see areas in my life where I'm maturing because fear was crippling me in these particular relationships. It's actually helped me in all my relationships with my kids, with my wife, with you guys, all over the place. So the question last week, how do we do this? Well, I hope you've recognized what I just said. The source of this kind of love is God himself. I hope you're recognizing that what I just shared with you, my own personal story, was just to say I hit the end of my human resources. My human love, my human patience, my human forgiveness, I hit a wall and I was done. I had no, I had no more in me to be able to navigate this offense, this relationship. And God began to speak to me about what he commanded me to do. And when I obeyed God, he gave me the power to do it. And that relationship is better now than it's probably ever been in our lives. Romans says this, God has poured out his love to fill our hearts. Read this scripture out loud with me, will you? And own it for yourself. If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, then the love of God has been poured out. The love of God, the unconditional agape love of God has been poured out in your heart for these very purposes in your relationships. Let's read this out loud. God has poured out his love to fill our hearts. He gave us his love through the Holy Spirit whom God has given to us. I'm going to show you a passage in the scriptures, and then we're going to close, of what the love of Christ can do to an individual. Let's go to the book of Luke chapter 19. We're going to read a very brief passage. It's a great story in the Bible. I'm going to say up a couple of things about it. And then we're going to come to Jesus together, and we're going to pray. We're going to ask the Lord to do a work in our hearts this morning, because I know that I've just scratched the surface and many of the relationships in your life, I know some of them you've redefined, some you're done with, some you shouldn't be done with, and some of it is that your heart is bottled up, that you've protected yourself, you've guarded yourself. But are you obeying the Lord's command? You see, this is what I, 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 this is, I think there's another step beyond what would Jesus do. You know, we, make, we quote this, this, uh, this phrase, do you have that up there? What would Jesus do? Get the bracelet. What would Jesus do? I want, to, I want you to ask yourself that question about your relationships in your life. What would Jesus do in my relationship? Right in this relationship. Whatever, what is, whatever is the one you have on your mind right now. What would Jesus do? I like to take it a step further and say, what will Jesus do through me right now? See, that's a whole nother level, isn't it? What would Jesus do? Hmm, okay. Well, maybe maybe not. I'll try that. No. The love that God has given to you and I is a supernatural love. It goes beyond human love. And so if we're going to have the kind of loving relationships that God said 
would prove that Jesus is our Savior, we must be talking about a whole other dimension of love that comes from someone else other than ourselves. Are you guys with me? So I like to say, what would Jesus, what will Jesus do through me right now? My wife likes to say, go pray. Because she knows when I'm acting like a jerk, she knows the answer. You need to go pray. Because she knows that Jesus will touch my heart and change me, humble me, and I'll come out of the telephone booth with a big J on my chest for John. Because when you do that, you look a lot like Jesus. The book of Luke chapter 19, and we're going to close with this. I picked one of the most despicable people in the Bible for us all to relate to and measure. And see what happens when he runs into Jesus. Luke chapter 19, verse 1. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector. And he was rich. The rich wasn't a problem. God doesn't have a problem with rich. He put the gold and the silver and all the money in the earth. He has a problem with the heart of greed, covetousness. This guy was a tax collector, a chief tax collector. You have to understand that he was the scum of the earth, according to the Jewish people. Because he was Jewish, that means he was a Jewish brother to all the other Jewish people in his community, and yet he was working for the Roman government to extract taxes from his brothers. And he would do it unfairly. And he was a chief tax collector, so he had people under him that would go into people's homes and not just get the taxes that were due, but they would take whatever they wanted. They were brutal, they were cruel, they were mean. Zacchaeus was one of the most selfish people the Bible ever notes. And he had sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was a short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, you are so selfish and self-centered. I will have nothing to do with you. Is that, is that our Jesus? No, look how, look how precious. Jesus knows that if he can come into contact with us, he can change us. Zacchaeus, make haste, come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then, then Zacchaeus, now, okay, so they're at their house now, having lunch, and just by having an afternoon with Jesus, just an afternoon with Jesus, look what happens to this cruel, selfish human being. Then Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, I give half my goods to the poor. And if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, if, if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore 
fourfold. Now, do you know that the law, you know how much the law required you to return to somebody that you stole from? You, you return, you give them back what you stole, and then you add one-fifth. He's giving four times back. That's supernatural. That's what I'm talking about. When people say, I can't forgive. I talked to a friend from high school on the phone just recently. And he told me a horrendous story that was so deeply offensive. I, uh, but it doesn't matter. He was, he was bottled up, angry, resentful, bitter, divorced. And he says, I, I said, you, got, you, you need to forgive. I can't. You need to forgive. I can't. I just can't do it. This one's too big. I can't do it. But you're the only one in prison. The offender's just off living his life. You're the only one in prison. I can't do it. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. When you are with Christ Jesus, forgiveness is truly a choice because he gives you the supernatural power to do it. In fact, it's a command. And he's not trying to be mean. He's not trying to be insensitive. He's trying to set you free. Because it's corrupting all your other relationships because your personality is crippled because of the unforgiveness and the offense and the bitterness and the resentment and the anger. Hanging on to that thing, which means they still control you. They're still whipping you around. You're still a victim. The moment you forgive, you become a victor. And you can breathe again. And you're free. And Jesus said to him, today, today, I pray that is your experience. Today, salvation has come to this house because he's also a seed of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. So this morning, I want us to come to the Holy Spirit together. I believe there can be a relationship right here and now in your life that can be healed right now in this moment. If you will, if you will do the ping pong table manual correctly. Jesus first. Others second. Jesus said, isn't this what we teach our children? Prefer your brother. Don't cut in front of the line. Go in the back of the line. Jesus said, I've come to serve, not to be served. We teach our children these things. And then we run into human relationships and we get hurt. And we flip it around. My protection first. Again, there needs to be boundaries in some relationships. If you steal my wallet, I'll forgive you. But I'm not going to do business with you. But I will forgive you and I will relate to you with boundaries that are reset. So there's boundaries. But that's not what we're talking about here today. We're talking about what's going on in your heart. So I'm just, we're going to take a moment. I'm just simply going to ask you, do we believe that God is here? Do we believe that God is supernatural? Are we the people of God? Okay, well, this is where it's real. We're not just teaching. We're now we're going to experience. We're going to, we're going to close ourselves off here in just a moment. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to bring up a relationship that you have raised walls with. And you're simply going to ask Jesus, what do you want me 
who do. I'm going to start with that. Okay? Let's just take a moment to do this. The Holy Spirit's quick. So let's just close our eyes. If you're comfortable with that. And just, just ask the Holy Spirit. I'll pray as you're asking. Holy Spirit, we want to be the people of God. We want to be the people that shine. The people that love one another in such a way the world says, Oh my gosh, Jesus must be real. Lord, we ask you right now, will you bring up a relationship in our lives that we need to do something about, that we need to obey you in? I just see what the Holy Spirit brings up into your heart or your mind. Okay, now, let me ask you this. How many of you, just raise your hand and say, I feel like the Holy Spirit just put a relationship on my heart, a person on my heart or my mind. Will you raise your hand? Okay. Good. That's a lot of people. Okay. Now ask this. This is, this is by the way, this is where the rubber meets the road Christianity, right here. Relationships. Okay, close your eyes again and just ask this question. Say this out loud. Jesus, what do you want me to do in this relationship? Okay, now just listen. Okay, how many of you feel like you got something from the Holy Spirit? Just raise your hand right now. Okay, back here, back here, back here. Wow, 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 wow. Okay, great. That's just information. Here comes the hard part. Got to do it. James says, if you're hearers of the word and not doers, you deceive yourself. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian, and I hate a lot of people. Right? Let's be real Christians. Okay. Now we're going to pray one more prayer. We're going to ask Jesus to give us the power to obey. And if you will do this, I promise you, you're going to experience a supernatural thing in your relationship. If nothing else, you're going to be a better person for it because you've done your part. So let's go to Jesus again, and we're going to close up. Say, Jesus, I'm asking you for the power to do what you've just shown me. I want to obey you. I don't want to be a fake Christian. I want to be a true follower. So I'm going to do what you showed me. I'm going to trust the power is going to be there. this and I pray that you touch the other person's heart too wait here for a moment I really sense the Holy Spirit's weightiness on us in this moment let God do what only God can do in just another 30 seconds or so just be silent in his presence I believe this is affirmation. I believe some of you really just chose to obey Jesus, and it's his affirmation.
ask you this. With that little exercise we just did, which I call Christianity, did you feel yourself move from self-centeredness to other-centeredness? You see that? Do you realize that's what just happened? I went from my rights, I've been offended, I'm hurt, I'm afraid, whatever, to Jesus, what do you want me to do in that relationship with that person? He gives you something and you said, I will do it. All of a sudden now you're others, you're Jesus-centered and others-centered. And he pro- he's promised that's how your joy is going to be made full. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for listening to me.